Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you for the life that you have given us in Christ Jesus. As we learn from your word this morning, I pray that we are both convicted and encouraged as necessary, heeding the call of Christ Jesus. Amen. This past week, I had a doctor appointment. Nothing serious, just a doctor appointment. And uh, the whole topic of discipleship has been on my mind, you know, just stirring around in my mind. And as I mentioned, I like to talk to doctors about faith because I'm in the room and they're in the room and the door's closed. So I thought, well, why not? Let's just ask some of the questions because the doctor, the, uh, my doctor, is he's a Christian. And so I thought, I'll ask. So I said, I, I've got a question. It's a non-medical question. And uh, it has to do with a series that we're in right now at, at our church about uh, discipleship. It's called Follow Me. And so I asked him, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And, you know, he thought about it a, a little bit, and he gave a response, and it was, it was okay. You know, it's just off-the-cuff response. And then I said, well, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And uh, he gave an, an answer I thought that was interesting. He said, it's about a different level of engagement with the teachings of Jesus. I thought that was an interesting answer. And so I said, so what are the implications for you then if, if you're called to, to be a, a disciple? Now, I wasn't looking for an, a right answer. I wasn't trying to like force him in into any particular answer. I was literally just curious to see how somebody would respond outside of a church area. And the whole conversation maybe took two minutes at the very most. And I said, well, my follow-up, we could do a part two. But those are the questions, right? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? You know, and that, that question can work on you. And then what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Is there any difference between the two? Should there be any difference between the two? So you start to grapple with these questions and they work on you a little bit. So now we are going to continue in our series, Follow Me, and today is Fisher of Men. I want to set the scene here a little bit, uh, just give you some context where this take, takes place. So Luke says it's at Gennesaret. Gennesaret is also another name for the Sea of Galilee. There's also a city or was a city town of Gennesaret. It was on the northern uh, western shore of Galilee. And you can also see there's a yellow arrow there. It's the Mount of Beatitudes. So that's where Jesus would give the Sermon on the Mount. Let me show you a picture from the Mount of Beatitudes towards Gennesaret. That's what it looked like. It was a beautiful place. It was very fertile. And uh, it was often called the Paradise of Galilee. So on its shores... You had a number of towns, a number of cities, and they flourished especially with fishing trade. 
So all the fishermen would go out in the sea and they would know their particular place where they went. And their boat, by the way, was about anywhere from 20 to 30 feet long. In 1986, they actually made a a really interesting find. They found one of the boats at the bottom of Galilee had not fully uh, broken down. They were able to bring it back up. It was 26 and a half feet long. It was seven and a half feet wide and about four feet deep took a crew of at least five, but you could have up to 15 people in the boats. So this is the scene where Jesus came. So Jesus had been teaching in the synagogues, but the synagogues had gotten too small for his ministry. It started to overflow. So he was now out in the hillsides. He was by the shore. And now this morning, he goes out into the boat. This is our text. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this is a very practical aspect of what Jesus did. The crowd was so large that he goes out onto the Sea of Galilee. He goes out a little bit so people can see him more easily. And it probably helped with the acoustics. So now you have this itinerant rabbi who was a carpenter who asked Simon to go out. But what Jesus asked then really changed Simon's life. This is what he said. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now put yourself in the place of Peter. Peter is a professional fisherman. He knows where to go. He knows what to use how to use the nets. He knows what time to fish. And now you have this rabbi say, go out into the deep. I mean, how many of you with a car mechanic say, well, you might want to change the head on that using that wrench instead? I wouldn't, because that mechanic would look at me and like, what are you talking about? So we have Jesus who comes to Peter and says, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for catch. Let me ask you, was that a reasonable request that Jesus made of Peter? It wasn't a reasonable request, was it? No, this seemed to be a very unreasonable request. Something that Peter would know, I'm not going to catch any fish out there. Look, I worked all night and I still didn't catch anything. And now you want me to go out in the deep and cast the nets? The trouble is, in our culture nowadays, most people think that Jesus will never make unreasonable requests. They think, well, Jesus would never make any unreasonable request of me, would he? I mean, we have actually taken in our culture and made Scripture very reasonable, and so nobody is uncomfortable whatsoever. But if you read about Jesus, if you read about Jesus in Scripture, he makes many unreasonable requests. 
Imagine you're one of the disciples, and this is the scenario from Matthew chapter 14. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. That's a reasonable thought, isn't it? Have the crowds dispersed, those 5,000 plus all the women and children, so more like 10 to 15,000. Have them go into the village, get their own food. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. Notice the response to his request. Or how about if you were one of the 72? Jesus told them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter into a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in them, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, everybody's probably kind of okay with that. You could at least go along with this. But how about this part? But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. That's an unreasonable request. Go into the streets, take off your sandals, shake off the dust, and rebuke the people in that town. Now, what about the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes? If you read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's not reasonable. It draws you up short. Do not be angry, do not lust, do not divorce. How about this one? You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whew. Jesus does ask things of us. And as you listen to the words of Jesus, are you like me at all? You got some thoughts going on in your own head about, is he really talking to me? Does, does that apply to me? That must apply to somebody else. And the question is, do you listen to your voice or the Lord's voice? See, Jesus, the purpose of Jesus asking Simon to go out into the sea was not simply so he would catch a lot of fish. It was, would you trust what the master has to say? Do you listen to your words, or do you listen to the words of Jesus? See, it is in Jesus and his word alone that we find life. It is in his word and his word alone that we have life. When you deviate from his word and you start to trust your word versus his word, when you trust your word, you have sorrow and ultimately death. With his word and trusting his word, you have life and life abundantly. By the way, how did Peter respond? His first response was, wasn't like, yay, let's go. 
What did he say? He said, Master, we've toiled all night. And to toil has a sense of fatigue. Look, I've, I've worked all night. I am bone tired. And now you want me to do something else? Look, also this week, I went to a store. And after I was done with the clerk, I had this conviction that I was supposed to go back and ask this clerk if she had a church to go to. And here's, here's how I looked. I was a reluctant person, but the conviction got a hold of me. I thought, okay, I have a choice. I listened to my own conviction, uh, my own thoughts, or the conviction of Christ Jesus. So I went back, you know, and I said, um, I was just wondering if, if you have a church to go to. And she said, no. And she was like lukewarm, but my boyfriend's really interested in finding a church. Okay, here's a card, here's an invite. I don't know if that'll come to fruition or not, but there's a choice, right? Do you listen to your own voice, which is going to lead you down a certain road, or do you listen to the voice of the Lord? I mean, we all have our version, right? Jesus says, follow me. Mm, That doesn't seem reasonable. Jesus says, follow me. What's your version of responding to Christ? Look, though he had many misgivings, he trusted Jesus at his word. He's saying, look, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I don't want to, but because you said so, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Think about this a moment. Doing the math, they probably brought in about a thousand pounds of fish. That's a lot of fish, so much that the boats began to sink. That's how much fish there was. By the way, if you stop with this gospel account right here, you're going to get the wrong lesson. Because the lesson you're going to get is, if I just trust Jesus, I'm going to have financial success, or I'm going to get everything that I ever wanted. That is not the lesson. Look, if Jesus provides a miracle in your life, it is not simply for the sake of your own well-being. It is to point you to who God is. If there's a miracle, it is to point you to who God is. God is, and to who Christ Jesus is. And there was a miracle that occurred, and Jesus and Peter recognized something that he quite hadn't recognized before. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What a reaction that Peter had. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, what was special about this miracle? Peter had been with Jesus with other miracles. He had been there at the wedding where Jesus turned water into wine. He had been there for that. He had seen Jesus heal a demon-possessed man. And even in our account of Luke, before this uh, chapter... 
Jesus had healed Peter's mother, uh, sorry, mother-in-law. So what was special about this miracle? I mean, Peter had already seen a couple of different miracles. It's hard to say exactly, but for some reason, somehow, this became personal for Peter. I mean, there he was in his boat doing what he knew and how he knew to make a living. But now it was, it was personal. He didn't know Jesus just as the rabbi because what did he call him? Lord. In that moment, he recognized who he was and who Jesus is. See, everyone must come to a point where we know that we are a great sinner, but that Jesus is our great Savior. There's a moment Peter knew who he was in relationship to Jesus, the Holy Son of God. In that moment, all of his justifications were down. That who he was, how good of a person he was, or how he thought he was, was stripped bare. And he found himself face to face with Christ Jesus. And he saw this is a man of God, this is the Son of God, this is the Lord He is holy, and I'm not. And his first reaction wasn't to embrace Jesus. His first reaction, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Look, this is the reaction that Abraham had. This is the reaction that Job had. This is the reaction that Isaiah had. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, 4 and 5. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter saw the King, the Lord of hosts. And he knew who he was, and he knew who Jesus was. Listen, Jesus did not come for us because we are good. He came to us because he is good. And Christ calls to us not because we are worthy. We are worthy because he has called us. And for many people, this is the hardest lesson because they believe that they are a great sinner outside of salvation, but the good news is we have a great Savior. We have one who has overcome all sin. He has sacrificed himself for our sin. He is our Lord, he is our Savior, he is our King. And when you come to that point, when you come to that realization, it is a time of worship. For Peter, it was an act of faith. It was an act of humility, an act of worship. When you truly come into the presence of Jesus and know him as the Son of God, your Lord and Savior, 
The response is humility, worship, and faith. We have made this church in America a church of easy believism. I can just go to church, sing songs, raise my hands, and do whatever. But when you actually encounter Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is humility in that. Humility, there is repentance. There is acknowledgement of who he is, and there is worship of Jesus. And what is born in that moment is faith. It is a faith that trusts and says, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And interestingly enough, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the first time that Simon is referred to Simon Peter. The new name that Jesus gives him, from now on you shall be Peter, the rock upon which the church is built, right? Peter. Now in that little sailboat, in that little boat, Peter, in that moment, has a new identity and a new purpose. It says this, verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What he says to Peter is he says to all of us, fear not, for when you hear that call of follow me, I guarantee almost all of us are going to have that trepidation. Knowing who Jesus is, follow me, he says, fear not. Again and again throughout scripture, fear not, peace be with you. And it is not the peace that the world has, but it is the peace that Christ brings to each of us. And after reassuring Peter, he says, from now on, you will be catching men. What an interesting phrase. Now, in this translation, which is a good translation, by the way, it loses the full impact of it. A literal translation would be to catch alive. You will catch men alive. Now think of the juxtaposition. Peter's a fisherman, and fishermen take fish, and they die, right? Because they are used for food. It's not a catch and release. That's not the the profession that Peter was in. There was no catch and release. This was to catch and to kill. But now Jesus says, you are going to catch men alive. And what a gospel proclamation, right? Right? We catch the dead and make them alive. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. From now on, you're going to catch dead men, and they're going to come to life before your eyes. What a glorious call that is to not only be from dead to life, which is the gospel, which is being born again, but what a calling that is then to share that with others and to see the dead come to life. And I think that's what's been happening here in our church and in this community. More and more people are hearing the gospel message and they're coming alive. They're coming alive. In Christ Jesus, you are given a new life, a new identity, and a new purpose as his follower, as his disciple. 
Look, by the way, this was not the first time Jesus had really called to the disciples. And actually, in Gospel of Matthew and Mark, he calls to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Later on, he calls his disciples, he says, follow me. He tells Peter that several times. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, after he's been resurrected, they've had breakfast on the beach and Jesus, uh, Peter is walking with Jesus. Peter turns around and says, well, what about that disciple? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. It's that follow me. And it needs, it seems to be, we need to hear that again and again and again and again. Because we start, we go, okay, I'll follow. Hmm, yeah. Then we got our excuses. We got whatever's going in our mind. It's not the right time. It's not reasonable. I've got other things to do. But follow me. And it's that repetition of following me that Peter heard in that boat that morning. Look, I've told uh, a number of you my final step, how I started down this road of being a pastor, but I haven't told everybody. So uh, in a short summary, I have thought about being a, in ministry a long time. You know, I actually grew up Roman Catholic. Once you get married, though, that kind of puts the priesthood out, doesn't it? So, but it nagged at me, you know, and Heidi can verify this. It, it would nag at me and then I would ignore it. And it would nag at me a little bit, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, and then I would ignore it. How's that, right? This is honest truth as a pastor. This is my journey. But it kept pulling on me. And eventually I started doing more and more in the church. I became more interested in leading some things. But I was still like, eh, I don't know about this full-time ministry thing. It's not reasonable. It's expensive to go to seminary. I, what, what about my job? How would everything work out? Married, we have a daughter. Do you hear that, all that, right? So one time we were at an ordination reception at our home church. And we were at a table in the, in the cafeteria, the fellowship hall. And I was sitting with a retired professor from one of the local seminaries. And it was brought up that I had been interested in ministry. I don't know who brought it up to this day. I don't remember. But it was brought up. And so this retired professor said, do you think you'd be a good pastor? And I said, yeah, I think I would. And he said, well, you better get going. How's that for spiritual advice? You better get going. And you know what my thought was? He's right. I better get going. And so then I looked at seminary and started to go to seminary. But it was that moment where I finally heard the call and said yes to the call. I better get going. Now, by the way, I am not saying that everybody has to go into full-time ministry. That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, the road in ministry is really hard but it's also more rewarding than you could ever imagine. And yet, everyone is to hear that call, follow me. So maybe for you this morning, you need to hear the words, 
It's time to get moving. It's time to get going. It's time to get out of the boat. For that's what they did. It says, and when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left the boats there. They left the nets there. They left everything and they followed him. This was not reasonable. And yet they listened to the words of Christ Jesus and they followed him. So for you this morning, two questions. How have you in the past responded to Jesus' call? Follow me. And how will you now respond to Jesus' call? Follow me. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of grace you have given us in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We ask that you would work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may hear and heed the call. Follow me. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.